welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Well, hello, my name is Melissa Yurek and I'm a part of the staff team here at The Well. And like all of us, I do many things around this church, but some of my favorites have to do with our kids. And so I just love our All Together Now services that we have here in the month of August. Now you see, All Together Now services tend to be a little bit louder, a little more interactive, and a lot more fun because they are designed with the entire family in mind. So don't be afraid to answer questions and play our games and move around during worship. We actually welcome and delight in all ages um, knowing and following Jesus. Now, today is the second lesson in our teaching series that we are having over the month of August entitled, Women of Faith Who Have Changed the World. And if you remember last week, Pastor Vijay kicked us off with the story of Mary Magdalene, a disciple of Jesus's more than 2,000 years ago. Now, here's the thing. Even as I say that, because her story happened so long ago, we can forget that it's a real story, not a fake or fairy tale. She really did live and walk and love and die and change the way women were perceived and accepted 2,000 years ago. Her story is not only important, but it's actually pivotal. And as a woman who loves and follows Jesus, I'm really thankful for her. But today we're going to talk about a different woman who is alive right now. And she is changing the world today in real time. You're even going to get to hear parts of her story from her own mouth because I got to talk to her in person. Well, over Zoom, but it is COVID. I don't want to give away who she is just yet. I like to have you on the edge of your seat. So in the meantime, I thought we could play a game together. I'm calling this game only in Canada, eh? And you may not know this about me, but I am a very proud Canadian. It's almost obnoxious. But it wasn't always this way. When I was young and growing up, I was obsessed with the United States. You see, when I was a kid, everything in the US was cooler. They had bigger pop cans, it's true. They had cheaper Nikes, they had Disney World, and the NBA, we didn't have a Raptors team when I was a child in those old days. They also had um, places that were warm all year round. And since I hated winter, the U.S. was just the coolest place in the entire world. I loved it so much, I decided to go to university in New York. And I loved going to school there. But besides earning my degree and meeting my incredibly hot husband, going to school in the U.S. actually made me more grateful to be Canadian. Now, I'm not going to go into all the reasons why I was so very happy to come back and live in Canada, but I do think that we should revel together in some of the unique and quirky things about being Canadian. So let's play Only in Canada, eh? Okay, so the rules for Only in Canada, A eh, are simple. I'm going to show you a picture and you are going to tell me if it's only in Canada. Are you ready? Here's the first thing. There you go, ketchup chips. Are ketchup chips found only in Canada? True or false? True, true. They're only in Canada. You can't get them in the US. They are missing out. All right, the next thing. This is the Eastern wolf. Do Eastern wolves only live in Canada? True, 
They do. They only live in Canada. Can you believe that? In fact, they only live in Algonquin Park. So for all you ca um, campers out there, you need to be looking and, I don't know, careful. All right, next picture. <gasps> maple syrup. Oh, we love maple syrup here in Canada. Is it only available in Canada or is it only produced in Canada? True or false? False. <laughs> I almost forgot. It's false. Even though... Uh, you know, Canadians love it, and we actually produce 80% of the world's, actually, no, more than that, 80% of the uh, production of maple syrup comes from Quebec alone. They do produce a little bit in Vermont and Maine, so it's not only in Canada. Next picture. Oh, this is a beaver. Don't we love a beaver? Not only is it on our nickel, but it's also in Canada. But do they only live in Canada? True or false? False. Beavers live all over North America, although we do have a lot of them. And if you have a cottage, they can like totally mess up your dock. Okay, next. Smarties. Are Smarties only in Canada? True or false? True. Smarties can only be found in Canada. Now, I'm going to show you another picture. In the U.S., this is what they call a Smarties. So if you go shopping looking for Smarties and you ask for them, this is what they're going to give you. What are those in Canada? What are they called? You can yell it out to the camera. Rockets. That's right. We, we call them Rockets. They call them Smarties. I think our Smarties are better, but, you know, I'm biased. Okay, next picture. Oh, here we go. Only in Canada, what do we call this item? Here's the first picture. What is this? Is this a hat? or a beanie, or a toque. It's a toque, of course it is. Everybody knows that. Next picture, what do we call these? Are they runners, or trainers, or tennis shoes? They're runners, of course, or running shoes. Nobody ever calls them trainers here. Okay, next, in Canada, is this pop or soda? Um, I gave it away at the beginning, didn't I? It's pop, we always call that pop. Okay, now here we are at the end. This is gonna require a little bit of an explanation. So if you're sitting at home, you need to like explain to the people you're watching with. You ready? What is a double-double? Who can explain what a double-double is? Now, if you go into any coffee shop in the US and you ask for a double-double, they're gonna look at you really strangely, but all a double-double is, is two cream and two sugars in your coffee. That's all it is. All right, next, what is this? You all know this, of course you do. This is a toonie. Most people, most countries don't have nicknames for their currencies, but we do. This is, of course we have a loonie as well, but I thought we'd go with the toonie for this one. And finally, I believe this is our last thing. What is Zed? <laughs> what is that? Um, the last letter of our alphabet, come on. Do you know that we're the only ones that says Zed? Everyone else says Z? Welcome to Only in Canada. So while I am a very proud Canadian, there are some things about Canada that I'm not at all proud of. If you've been watching the news over the past few months, I think you'll know what I'm talking about. Actually, kids, you know more about Canadian residential schools than your parents do. We can learn from you. But for those of you who don't know, over the past few months, there have been numerous horrific discoveries of unmarked graves around the residential schools that were run by the Canadian government and Christian churches between 1830 and 1996. 
This is actually a picture of the last one that closed in 1996 in Saskatchewan, not that long ago. These residential schools were established to, in the words of our Canadian government, take the Indian out of the child by removing native children from their families as young as four years old and forcing them to live at mandatory boarding schools. Four-year-olds. They were taught there that their culture was backwards, evil even, and that it needed to be erased. They were given uniforms to wear and their traditional clothes were destroyed. Their hair was cut. They were forced to speak only English or French, so they had to forget their actual language. <clears throat> their names were even changed to European names instead of their traditional names. Can you imagine this? They were neglected. They were abused. It's a shameful, shameful mark on our country. And even more grievous to me is that it's also a shameful mark on, our, on the church at large. Like to think that people who love and follow Jesus could ever treat another group of people with such hatred is just appalling. Worst of all, it misrepresents how God feels about Indigenous people. What are some things that we know are true about how God feels about people? I, I came up with at least five. So the first one is we know that God loves the whole world, every single person in it. The second thing we know that's true about God is that he does not have favorites. In fact, everyone is his very favorite. The third thing we know about God is that he designed each one of us. It says that in the Bible really clearly. He designed each one of us uniquely and specifically. And that means he purposefully wanted each culture, each race, each gender. No one is a mistake. The fourth thing we know about God is that he wants to be our friends. The entire reason he created the world and humanity was to be in relationship, to be our friends. And finally, God never ever asks us to change our language, our culture, our skin color to be friends with him. We are all invited to be in a relationship with God. That is what is true. So today, I'm so excited to tell you the story of a woman, a Canadian woman, an Indigenous woman who loves Jesus and knows all of those things to be true about God. And so she's using her gifts and her talents and her time to reconcile Indigenous people with the God who loves them. Now, wait a second. I just used a pretty big word there. The word is reconcile. What does that even mean? Do you have any guesses? Well, the dictionary says that reconcile means to restore friendly relations between. Do you understand? Reconciling is restoring relationships between friends. You can't reconcile with someone you never had a relationship with. But because God is our father, because we all have a relationship with him, Jesus came to reconcile us back to God. Let's check out what the Bible has to say about this. In the book 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 20, we read, Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. 
A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. We're his representatives. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Jesus when we plead, come back to God. Now in that passage, it says that reconciliation is a gift from God who brought us back to himself, who reconciled with us through his son, Jesus. And now God's given us the job of reconciling people to him. It says we've been given a wonderful message of reconciliation. So I'm excited to introduce you to Cheryl Bear. She is someone who is working to remind and show Indigenous people that despite what the Canadian government and even the church has told them in the past, that God has always been for them and he's always been working to reconcile them back to himself. Actually, I'm going to let Cheryl introduce herself to you. Well, before we start, I have to introduce myself uh, uh, native way. So I uh, have to say, uh, my name is Cheryl Bear, and I'm from the beautiful village of Nadlewatan First Nation, which is located about an hour and a half uh, west of Prince George in BC. It's pretty close to the geographical center of BC. Uh, and I'm from the Bear Clan. Cheryl was born 52 years ago in Prince George, British Columbia. Her mom was an Indigenous woman from the Nadle Wooten First Nation, about an hour and a half north of Prince George. Her mom attended Lejac Residential School as a child, and she didn't often speak about her experiences there until the last couple of years of her life. Cheryl's mom moved as an adult to Prince George to work, and there she met and married Cheryl's dad, who was an immigrant from Germany. Cheryl's mom experienced racism and culture shock while living in Prince George, a non-native community, and she longed to be back with her people in Nadle. Cheryl remembers her dad having to be away working a lot, and so her very fondest memories as a child are always when they would return to the Nadle reservation as a family. She loved going back there and felt a strong sense of peace and joy whenever she was back home. Well, Cheryl's mom started following Jesus when she converted to Catholicism when Cheryl was just a young girl. She found so much joy and peace in her newfound faith that she often would travel back to Nodley to share all that God was doing in her life with her people. And over that time, Cheryl has vivid memories of lots of music and Bible study and delicious snacks. <laughs> it seems that Good food and following Jesus go hand in hand, regardless of the culture. Now, Cheryl herself chose to follow Jesus at eight years old. Let's listen to Cheryl tell us about how that happened. Well, you, my interesting little um, journey of faith began when I was uh, eight years old. Well, I was baptized in the Catholic Church when I was a baby, so there's there's another start. But... Um, so, but my parents were sort of nominal Catholics at best. And then they, but my mom let me go to a Bible camp. I was about eight years old. And, uh, and I went 
and uh, and I became so I became a Christian that time. And I I, I remember my mom picked me up and I you know hopped back then we didn't need seatbelts, so I hopped on you know the back seat and le- leaned over and she was as she was driving away and I said I said hey mom I um I gave my heart to Jesus I became a Christian and she was like that's nice sit down and she drove away she didn't really <laughs> didn't really <laughs> make any sense to her or whatever <clears throat> but um but what had happened like later on I started having like I had a really scary sort of rest of the summer because I hadn't become a Christian because of all of you know the nice tales about Jesus the good shepherd or you know anything like that it was because um I didn't want to go to the fiery place that they kept yelling about so it was it was a very sort of like um traumatic sort of conversion experience so I was very, very scared little kid the rest of that summer and, and really didn't have, you know, sort of, I sort of, sort of saw like God as like the eye of Sauron, you know, from Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. just this very scary, you know, eyeball and, uh, and, and it wasn't good. And then um, that, that September, I, I went back to school, of course, like everybody and uh, and I was just little. I loved uh, I loved reading and and one and so the librarian Mrs. McEwen. I remember like three teachers' names from that school, and I remember <laughs> her. Uh, she um, she put she put a she's like try this and she put a book in my hand and it was The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And so I um, so I started reading that. I kind of tucked it under my arm, went home, and then I I read it that night. And as I was reading it, I was like, Hey, I know this story. I know what's going on here. And, and, you know, and then you sort of like walk through. Uh, and then, <clears throat> so I ended up crying at the stone table with Susan and Lucy and realizing this is, you know, this is, and, and one thing I like to say now is that C.S. Lewis perfectly in my mind contextualizes the gospel for children. And I always say, I think, you know, I, I don't know that uh, I would be a Christian today if I didn't read um, that that book because you can't stay in a relationship with someone who's always mad at you, you know. Yeah. So, and that was my certainly my view of God back then. So while Cheryl had chosen to give in her life to Jesus at Bible camp, it was actually through the fictional story of the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis that she truly understood just how much Jesus loved her. Now. If you haven't read that story or watched the movie, I highly recommend it. And sorry, not sorry, I'm gonna give you a bit of a spoiler in this. Um, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe tells the story of some brothers and sisters who find themselves in the land of Narnia. There, they are confronted with the evil white witch and are ultimately saved by Aslan. He is a truly good and loving lion who willingly lays down his life, he dies, to save the children. Does that sound familiar? The story is really a retelling of Jesus's story. Aslan represents Jesus. Cheryl talked about that in her video and she used a really big word to describe it. The word is contextualization. Contextualization. Can you say that with me? Let's do it together. Contextualization. What that means is, It basically means taking a truth and making it something that people can actually understand in their own experiences, in their own language. This is a very important term that will come to play later on in Cheryl's story, so stay tuned on that. 
Now, as Cheryl um, grew up, she continued to grow in her relationship with Jesus and in her identity as an Indigenous person in Canada. And although she had a happy childhood um, in her family and in her church and in her school, she always felt the most herself when she was um, with her people in Nodley. Now fast forward to Cheryl's late teens and early 20s, and she found herself leading youth ministry at her church, as well as leading a worship team that would often travel to various retreats and gatherings, in particular rallies that were held on reservations. Reservations are areas and towns where Indigenous people live together. That's what Nodley was. Now, she would go and visit these places, and she would sing and play the guitar. And it was through all of this ministry that she ended up meeting her husband, who was a youth pastor. Soon, her husband and her pastors from her church encouraged Cheryl to attend Bible school to become a pastor. And so she did. But it was while she was attending school that she was reminded of the conflict that exists between the organized church and indigenous people. Yeah, I was leaving my apartment one day and I lived in native housing for a lot of years and it's um, native social housing. And so I was leaving and I had my little backpack on and this elder was really happy. He said, hey, you're going to school, aren't you? He said, I see your backpack and he was working on his bike. And I said, yeah, I'm going to school. And he said, uh, uh, and he said, I'm so proud of you. It was the first thing he said to me. And he said, he said, it's good to go to school. What school are you going to? And I said, I'm going to um, uh, Pacific Life Bible College. And then he, his face clouded over. And he said, how could you go there after everything they did to us? And, and that just stopped me. I, I was like, oh, God, help. Like, I don't know the answer to this. And I just felt something. And I, and I, so I spoke it out and I said, I said, the story of Jesus is much older, way older than our, than, than when we first met the settlers, when the settlers first came. And I said, that's the, that's the Jesus that I'm, I'm interested in. You see, it was this encounter with an elder that God used to call Cheryl into her unique ministry of reconciliation that he had designed just for her. Cheryl was convinced that if her people could see that the story of Jesus wasn't owned by the settlers, the Europeans that had come and taken over Canada, but instead belonged to them, the indigenous people as well, then they would encounter the love of Jesus in a new, fresh, in a personal way. But how was she going to do that? I'm going to let Cheryl tell you. The life-changing moment came to me. I was asked to do, or we were asked to do, um, um, worship at a rally and native folks have rallies where you go for the whole weekend and it's very long and exhausting um, and there's always preaching and really good food and usually some salmon sandwiches which is uh -huh. beautiful um, <clears throat> but this one place they were so we drove over to Euclid and I had a really cool team like it was all native uh, worship team cool. and um, and so we we showed up there and, uh, and, and the speaker was Richard Twist, and I had never met him. This was like 1996 or 97. Uh, um, and we, um, so we got there and we were just doing like the normal worship songs. I wish native people would write like uh, their own songs, our own songs. And I was like, huh, well, we'll show him. So then we had the afternoon. So we went and I was like, let's write a song. Richard said we should write it. So we took some Bible verse out of Joel 
and we added like just some music and we, we threw this together and we wrote a song. So we came back later that afternoon or evening or whatever it was. And we were like, so we wrote a song. And, uh, and so we start so we sang it and Richard gets up after we do our whole worship thing. And he's like, you guys wrote a song. That's really amazing. Uh, he says, I wish our native people would write their own songs with, with our music, our style, our instruments. And that was, those were the words that changed the course of my life. So yeah, I got um, a hand drum and then it was the first of many hand drums that I would, I would have. And it was just, um, I felt like I was truly myself for the first time in, in maybe my whole life where all of my worlds were kind of coming together. And I don't know, maybe that's how it happens, but <laughs> I found that I, I found that I, I love walking alongside people. And that's what I call my job now. I'm a, I'm a pastor, uh, but I don't, I don't use those words. I just say, you know, I just, I just like walking alongside people. And if, mm-hmm. if I can in a conversation or, you know, um, if I can help to bring somebody one step closer to Jesus, then I've done my job. So Cheryl began writing and performing worship music using native instruments. And today, Cheryl has won numerous awards for her music. Her highly acclaimed albums have received three Indigenous People's Choice Music Awards, two Covenant Awards, and a Native American Music Award. You can actually find her music on YouTube and all over the internet. Right now, I thought we could actually listen to one of her songs together. And I have an assignment for you as you listen. Pay attention to the differences and the similarities between the music you're listening to from Cheryl and the music we usually sing and and play here at the well. Now remember, neither one is better than the other. God doesn't play favorites. He just loves it when people worship him. But what are the differences and the similarities that you notice?
Pretty cool, right? What you just listened to was contextualized worship music, that big word we talked about earlier. It's the story of God told in the context of the people Cheryl ministers to, indigenous people. Now, remember how Cheryl didn't really understand how much God loved her until she read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? That concept, contextualization, is a key aspect of her ministry. So contextualization is, um, and when, it's, when you're talking about contextualizing the gospel, and it's a missiological term, so it means um, placing something within the context of the people. So when you're talking about the gospel, it's like planting the gospel in the, in the land where the people are from and, and allowing that the gospel to grow like indigenously and, and look like the place and look like the people. Most churches I go into, I look around the church and I look at the decorations and the way the seating is set up, the way that everything happens, lecture style, very, very European style mm -hmm. stuff. And, and I always think there's nothing here that touches my Indigenous soul. There's nothing here that, that I, I feel like, like, that makes me feel welcome as an Indigenous uh, woman. Being Indigenous, using a hand drum or a flute, or, um, and, and singing songs in a chant style. You know, the chants don't have any words. They don't have any um, translatable words, but they represent the deepest cry of our heart. And so when we sing those, we can sing those to creator. We can sing those as prayers. And, and it's so powerful and beautiful. You just watch as people like hear this music, they hear this new thing. And to a lot of people still, it's a new thing, even though we've been at it for 20 years you know, almost 20, over 25 years, 30 years in some folks' cases. <clears throat> and, and, and you see, like, almost every time there'll be a Native person that will come up and say, I, I felt, I felt God, like, I felt God speak to me in a new way. I felt like, oh, my goodness, God really does love me. Um, and one thing, um, Native people, because of that story that's been told for 500 years, um, that bad theology that's been taught. Uh, um, one of the things that we rarely hear is that indigenous people are created in the image of God. Mm -hmm. And so you don't ever hear like Mishka are created in the image of God. Haudenosaunee are created in the image of God. Anishinaabe, uh, Cree, uh, Daketh, uh, Dene, all of these people, all of our people are created in the image of God. And one time I, I spoke at a village way up north and I said those words to this uh to this church and about their people and there was an elder who was there and she's probably in her 70s she'd been a Christian most of her life and we had Simon sandwiches downstairs afterwards and she came up to me and she sat down and she said you know when you said Nishka are created in the image of God and I said yep and she said I have never heard those words in my life while Cheryl continued to write and produce and perform music, she and her family, which included three sons, committed to traveling to as many reservations as she could across North America to share the love of Jesus. They stopped counting at 600. Can you believe that? There are more than a thousand reservations across North America. She also established Street Church in Vancouver. It's a church that uses traditional indigenous practices while preaching the gospel. At those services, they use drums and flutes instead of pianos. They often sit in circles instead of rows because that's how Indigenous people learn. It's making a difference. Cheryl told me about a woman named Christina Dawson. 
She's a member of the New Chinooth Nation from Vancouver Island, who had been attending Street Church as a congregant now for more than 10 years. Um, Christina remembers that she decided to follow Jesus one night when she was at Street Church lining up with her husband for a hot dog. Again, food and Jesus, they go together. A pastor knelt beside her and she decided to be friends with Jesus. And she says that decision has changed her life so much. Jesus has helped her deal with her substance abuse problems and has made her proud of her Aboriginal heritage. Street Church's use of Native spirituality was part of what helped her connect with the sermons and the community. She's quoted as saying, I was really surprised because the only time I'd ever seen regalia and hand drums was at potlatches and stuff like that. But when I saw them bringing them into the church and using it for worship, it really touched my heart. Christina has since become an ordained minister and she works at Street Church as an assistant pastor. Pretty amazing. Cheryl is still working towards reconciliation. She has served as a band counselor, which is an elected government position on her reservation in Nadley. Cheryl has earned a doctorate from the King's University in Los Angeles and a Master's of Divinity um, degree from Regent College in Vancouver, British Columbia. She is one of the founding board members of the North American Indigenous Institute of Theological Studies. Whew, that's a name. And is also an associate professor at Regent College as well. She's a pastor and an author. In fact, she co-authored a children's book with Tim Huff called The Honor Drum, and it was designed to help families learn more about Indigenous culture. She has served with the Canadian government's committee of the Truth and Reconciliation Committee. She has traveled with them around Canada, listening to and supporting residential school survivors. She still sings. She is using her gifts and her talents to change the world here in Canada and beyond. So before we figure out what Cheryl's story means for us today, I wanted to take a second to call something out. Perhaps like me, you don't know very much about our Indigenous people here in Canada. I'm embarrassed to tell you how little I've known or, or really cared about how my ancestors treated our First Nations. Did you know that Indigenous is a term that encompasses our First Nations, our Inuit and our Métis people? <laughs> I didn't either. But as Canadians and as Christians, we have some reconciling work to do with them. So I asked Cheryl, what can we do? She was super gracious and kind, and she simply said, learn more. So for adults, did you know that there are free online courses available through the University of Alberta that teach you all about our Indigenous people? It's free. It's taught from an Indigenous perspective, and the course explores key issues facing Indigenous people today from both a historical and a critical perspective, and it highlights national and local Indigenous settler relations. You should check it out. Now for families, Cheryl wrote a book I mentioned earlier with Tim Huff. Tim Huff attends our church, <laughs> and it's super helpful in explaining the beauty and heritage of our Indigenous people. You should check it out. It's called Honor Drum, and you can order it on Amazon or Indigo. It's really great. It even has a parent and teacher discussion guide included within it. So besides learning more, what else can we get from Cheryl's story? How can we apply what she's doing in her life to our own life? 
I think the key is in that passage we read earlier from 2 Corinthians. It said that God has given us the task of reconciliation, of bringing people back to him, of restoring friendship between God and the people that he loves so much. So how do we do that? How do we help people make friends with God? Well, to make friends, you need to be a friend. It's true. How can we help others meet Jesus when we haven't even had a conversation with them before? Cheryl's story is so important because it shows us that the first step in helping others make friends with God is being friends with the people first. She lives and works and ministers and serves her Indigenous friends and family, and that is what gives her the opportunity to share with them the story of Jesus. So if we want to get in the business of reconciliation, we need to learn how to be a good friend. I have three easy things that you can do. The first is be present. It's summertime here in Ontario, in Canada, and people are outside all of the time. We're at parks and playgrounds and swimming pools. So be there, be fun. Step out of your comfort zone and introduce yourself. Don't rush away to the next thing. Take the time to be a friend. Number two, take a risk. You know, we've been having summer fun days all through July and now into August this summer. And these are meetups all around our towns that are so invitable. Whether it's a takeout Tuesday or a splash pad party or our end of summer movie night that's coming up. These are great free ways to be a friend, but you'll need to take the risk and invite them. Go for it. Be brave. The third thing is pray. Here's the thing. <laughs> Reconciling is long work. It isn't quick. I think Cheryl mentioned that she's been at this for over 25 years. So to help <laughs> make things friendly between God and people, we have to be patient and trust that the Holy Spirit is at work even when we can't see it. That means we need to pray. We need to pray for our friends that don't know Jesus yet. We need to pray for ourselves to have the courage and patience to walk this long road with them. We need to pray for wisdom and for, for when to speak and for when to listen. So today, maybe someone, as I've been speaking, has come to mind. Maybe it's a friend or a neighbor or a relative that you'd like to see make friends with God. When you get home, I have an assignment for you. Write this person's name in a place that you're going to see it regularly. So maybe it's on a mirror and you can use a whiteboard marker or on a sticky note and you can put it on your steering wheel. And every time you see their name, just say a quick prayer for them. Pray for an opportunity to be a good friend to them. Pray that they would want to make friends with God. Before we do that and before we go, can I pray for you now? Dear God, thank you that you want to be friends with us. Thank you that nothing about us disqualifies us from being your friend. Please help us to be good friends to the people you've placed in our lives so that we can help um, reconcile them to you. And thank you for sending your son Jesus to show us how to love people well. Please make us more like him. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.